and I have deliberately avoided being drawn into a public tit for tat, and I'm not going to do that e- that either. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bunker Podcast in association with Callaway Golf. Normal service has resumed. I have got my seat back. Bryce is back where he belongs. I'm back where I belong. The normal order has been restored. Great scenes. Michael McEwen here. Thank you very much for tuning in. Lots to get through today. A huge interview coming up very shortly it's one that you've been asking for. You've got lots of questions for the guy and I've tried to put them to him. So that is coming up shortly. But first, I have to introduce him. Bryce Ritchie, Bunker Editor. Hello. Welcome. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good. But I asked you. Excellent. No, I'm fine. I didn't really do anything this week. No? no nothing happened. Just worked. Worked hard. Latest worked. issue out on sale as of Friday, just there, issue 201. I think so, yeah, I've not seen it. Have you not? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not, good. I know it's not landed in the office and I didn't go out the weekend, so I didn't see it in any newsstands. Oh, I see. I've not seen it called? at all. At all. Because yeah, I was away, obviously. That's so. slightly worrying. Yeah. Yeah. I won't point out all the mistakes. No, you're fine. You know, please don't. But Minwoo Lee on the front cover. That's very exciting to have uh, him there and a power edition, is it? Am I yes, right driver's, driver's issue. So everything you need to know about drivers, how to buy them and how to hit them. Oh, well, there with you With Minwoo Lee. Fantastic. He hits it a mile. He does, actually. I didn't realise how long he is, but he is sneaky long. Yeah, and he's, he's wiry, so he's not a big, uh, strong guy. So we spoke to him about that and said, how do you do it? Considering you're wee. Considering you're... Oh, right, okay. There you go. So, okay. Excellent. So you can get that now. It's on sale. All the usual newsstands. If you want even better, just subscribe. That's the best way to do it. Subscriptions available online. Bunker.co.uk forward slash sub offer. Thank you all for the very many, many kind messages about the Augusta National episode that we did last week. I don't think I've had so many messages about an episode for the podcast in all my days, Bryce. We're still going on. We're still going on about this, aren't we? A little bit. <laughs> Why not? No, it was amazing. Amazing. Great episode. Really, it's all in the hosting, to be quite honest. Oh, right, right. That's, okay. like, that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. But no, in all seriousness, it was brilliant. And yeah, thanks to everyone who messaged in to say, going to do it again? You <laughs> could do it next year. Maybe, yes. Are you not tempted now, having heard about it? Does that not give you fresh to go back? to go back? Yeah, no, I would like to go back. But, you know, someone needs to steady the ship at home, make sure we don't go on fire, Michael. Plus, when so, you go there, you need to do some work. That is the other thing. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> a slight issue. And I don't want to take another seat in the press tent and then just go on holiday because that's not the done thing. So That would be bad. That would be bad. It wouldn't reflect well on us as a brand, Michael. <laughs> it would be a terrible look. And the we, optics, do know, Bryce, we do know say, that people bad. do that. We do know that people do that. Yes. But we won't see anything until I have to say anything. We'll leave that to Augusta National to figure it out for themselves. Yes. But yeah, look, thank you very much for all the messages. Much appreciated indeed. Usually at this point, Bryce and I would start talking about all of the latest goings on in the game, the things that have happened over the last week or so. We're going to flip it this week because, as I mentioned at the top, we do have a very special interview. So we're going to play that just now. Keith Pelly, the Chief Executive of the DP World Tour. I caught up with him at the tail end of last week. Keith has been sitting on his hands in terms of being able to speak about the the conflict, the turmoil, whatever you want to call it, in men's professional golf over the last year or so. Whilst 
other people might have been saying rather a lot. He has been unable to for legal reasons. Now that the arbitration has been decided, he is now able to speak and speak he did. I caught up with him, as I say, on Thursday for about, well, it was meant to be 20 minutes, to be completely honest. And, well, we went way over that. It's a really interesting interview, I think, and at times a little bit feisty. So without further ado, here is Keith Pelly. Okay, Chief Executive of the DP World Tour, Keith Pelly, delighted that he is joining us on the line right now. Keith, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm very good, Michael, and I hear you played Augusta and played very well. <laughs> I played Augusta very well as a matter of opinion, but in my mind it was good. It was good. Anyway, your yeah, second well, listen, day. Anytime you're playing anytime you play Augusta, it's a wonderful experience. It most uh, certainly so is. So congratulations and and uh, I look forward to hearing more about it. Oh, you're going to. Don't worry. <laughs> Listen, Keith, thank you for that. It's your second appearance on the Bunkered podcast, the first time way back now in December 2020. Quite a lot has happened in, in that time. It's funny, I think back to then and we were talking about how the tour adapted to the challenges of COVID and since then, different kinds of challenges with the emergence of Live Golf. It's obviously now a week on since the arbitration panel from Sport Resolutions passed down their verdict, in inverted commas, and decided to uphold the sanctions that the DP World Tour imposed. You've had a week to let the dust settle, if you think, if you like, and take stock of that decision. How do you feel about it? What, what's your overriding feelings now, seven days on? Well, I think we're still taking stock of it. You know, I came back right away from Augusta and uh, and have had a, a plethora of meetings here with, with uh, my own team talked to a number of different players and uh, and started to uh, to talk to our uh, our legal team and have a conversation with our board over the next couple of days but you know you know I still feel that um, you know organizations have to have rules and regulations uh, to protect the benefit of the collective interest and you must be able to administer them and if we had lost that right I think that would have been uh, been very disappointing. It's the reason I said when the, the verdict was made public that this was a, a landmark decision for all of sport. You know, our conflicting tournament regulation has been in place for a number of years, and it exists because broadcasters and sponsors have certain expectations that we must be able to fulfill to the collective benefit of our members. So, you know, to do that, uh, Michael, we need we need to be able to regulate members' ability to play uh on uh, on other tournaments that clash with ours, and as the panel said, and and this um, uh, that our action was necessary and proportionate to our continued operation as a professional golf tour, and the vast majority of our members, I think, fully understand and support that. So, um, yeah, it was it, it was a, a lengthy arbitration that required significant resources both financial and staffing, which could have been deployed otherwise across our organization. So uh, I'd like to say that we've now received the decision and can move on. Uh, but right now we're in, in um, it's a 90 page document because it's very thorough. And now we're going through it, you know, line by line and determining what is the best course of action to take against the players that you know, willfully broke our rules and regulations uh, the same rules and regulations that they signed up for. How do you categorize how you feel, Keith? Is it relief? Is it satisfaction? Is it frustration at the, that it took all of this? How do you categorize it? 
Um, I, I don't categorize it as as relief. I categorize it as uh, I'm quite pleased with the fact that we can administer our rules and regulations because if they didn't and if we weren't able to do that, then I think that would be challenging for not only golf organizations and members organizations, but all of sports organizations and all of all of businesses. You have to be able to have rules. You have to be able to have regulations. Ours are unique in the fact that they are they were determined by our members. Our members appoint the tournament committee. The tournament committee appoints the board, which is which is made up predominantly of past members. Uh, and they create the rules and regulations, and we, as the executives, are there to administer them. And if we can't administer them, then that's uh, then everything falls apart. So uh, I don't know if I'm I'm relieved. Like I said, it's been a, a lengthy process, but you know we both sides entered this arbitration process in good faith, with the aim of seeking clarity and direction. And that decision has now been. Provided, so we expect it to be respected in the same way we respected the stay in the sanctions last July. So we're now trying to figure out what is the best course of action, and that's going to uh, uh, going to take, uh, like I said, a number of different meetings and 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 much dialogue going forward. Because just like just like Michael uh, in the the decisions to sanction and our position uh, at the Centurion Club, which is the initial event, or Slightly Hall, which is on the Asian tour, and and you know obviously the Asian tour and and the players that have played on that and and are are really going to be uh, looked at as well that that have broken the rules and regulations and will be sanctioned accordingly. But they won't be unilaterally my decision or my my team. My, I will get feedback from you know our tournament committee. Um, I'm in Japan all next week. I'll talk to a number of different players. I've already talked to some board members. Uh, I'll talk to my management team. We'll get legal advice. So it's not a unilateral decision. It's a decision that we collectively make that is in the best interest of our members. Have you spoken to any of the live appellants from the arbitration? No, I have not. And have you heard anything from any of them indirectly, be through management or anything else, hearsay, whatever it might be, to indicate that they may, any of them may be... Um, minded if you like to resign their their dp world tour membership i i have not okay so the big question on everyone's you? have you i can't say i have but i dare say you're closer to the players than i am <laughs> oh, i think you're pretty close yeah well <laughs> we'll see about that the big question on everyone's lips is what happens now and i do appreciate it's a very fluid situation where you know you're still taking stock you still have to have discussions is there anything in terms of sanctions that's off the table at this point? For example, the PGA Tour has banned players indefinitely. Is that a course of action that is on the table or off it? Well, I think we've been pretty consistent with uh, with our approach, and that has never been uh, our approach. Our approach has been different than the PGA Tour, uh, and, and we've looked at every individual case uh, based on our rules and regulations. We've looked at them on a case-by-case basis, on a tournament-by-tournament base, on a tour-by-tour base. And that's what we're doing now. We're looking at the Asian tour and live. Are we looking at them in terms of events that are in our market, in our time zone, all kinds of different things that we're looking at on an individual basis. Um, this is, it's important to understand that, that 
whatever decision that we make, the players will still be able, the live players will still be able to play. It is, it is their choice. And it is their choice. It was their choice to go play on live. And it will be their choice whether they decide they want to continue and play on the DP World Tour. Uh, you know, obviously we play in over 30 countries. We play 40 plus times a year. So there's lots of opportunity for them to play both. Um, you know, they've had a stay since July and that's just not what they've done. They've, they've shown that they were not, they're, they're, they're not prepared to play. So, um, but they will have the total opportunity. They will be able to play, uh, but there will be sanctions. There are consequences. You can't. And that is exactly what, what, what came down from, from the arbitration, uh, panel that you you and and remember i think it's incredibly important that this was an independent arbitration panel that both sides agreed to that came to this same decision and and you know i i only make that point because it was insulting to sports resolution to call them the dp world tours arbitral body <laughs> as the lawyers representing the players did in a statement last week when the verdict was released that that that's 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 offensive this was a this was a um, an arbitration panel that was independent, and they made the decision. So, so there will be consequences. What those will be, we will will determine over the coming weeks. And and we we really endeavor to do it as quickly as we possibly can, uh, because not only for the live players, uh, but for our partners, our stakeholders, and our current members. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it very quickly. And, and like I said, though, um, it is, uh, you know, when you, when you break rules and regulations that are, uh, and that are administered, uh, and, and put in place by our members for our members, then there are consequences. We all watched the Dubai Desert Classic this year, Keith. I think we were all quite captivated by it. The, the story between Rory McElroy and Patrick Reed, not just their phenomenal play on the final day, indeed, into, into Monday. But the subtext of it all, the one side versus the other, I mean, in a, a very perverse way, you could make the case that the DP World Tour as an entertainment product that particular week profited a little bit from this friction that's in the game just now. That drama, that theatre surely isn't something that you want to lose. Well, at the same time, you know, the, the, the week before, the unbelievable wedge shot that Min Woo Lee hit and, 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 and it came back and, and, and just was one inch prior to the hole, which allowed Victor Perez to show emotion that few players have, 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 have shown, uh, is, is phenomenal as well. Um, there is a lot of drama to be had in, in golf every single week. That was a, that was a fantastic week. Uh, the, you know, the Hero Desert Classic was, the Buy Desert Classic was a terrific, uh, battle between two great players, uh, as was the week before with Minwoo Lee and Victor Perez. So, uh, I think there is a lot of unbelievable golf that we've seen already this year. And there's, you know, more to come with, you know, not even, uh, not even here in the summer yet. I have to ask you about the strategic alliance because that is something that probably more than any, anything else in golf over the last 12 months, I've received messages about and the, the, the recurring theme is, what is it? What is it beyond the term strategic alliance? What's the detail? Can you shed any light? Can you tell our listeners 
what it is and why it's particularly good for the DP World Tour. Well, yeah, of course I can tell you exactly what it is. You know, the financial element is massive and it's important should not be underestimated. You know, they, you know, they, they have, they have financially invested in our business and they've guaranteed our prize funds and growth over the next five years. And to have certainty for our members in terms of record prize funds and growth is huge, particularly in the current economic climate that we're in. Uh, so they've enabled us to have record prize funds guaranteed growth, but we also, have an opportunity with them to reshape our 2024 and 2025 seasons now. You know, we'll announce our schedule at the Genesis Scottish Open in July, and that's going to be about four months earlier than than last year. And we'll continue to have heat moments during the season and in an elevated phase, most likely from August to November. So I think the Strategic Alliance does a lot for us, uh, and especially in the midst of full-fledged competition, from the Asian tour and live, it provides incredible certainty for, uh, for our membership and, uh, and certainty in terms of, of our financial situation. You know, as Paul McGinley and Paul McGinley said it probably best a couple of weeks ago, and Paul McGinley would know, obviously being on our board for so long, that the DP World's tour cash flow is, is, is strong. Our statements of assets and liabilities and our balance sheet, you know, which, which, Compares income and expen- expenditures is 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 very very strong, and and that's that's partially due to the strength that we that we we came out of the pandemic, but additional based on the strategic alliance. So the strategic alliance, the way that I quite simply put it, is it gives certainty and sustainability for our membership, and that's what we are. We're a members organization. We have 300 plus members. And, and so, um, you know, yeah, I, I find it, I find it, I find it amusing that, um, uh, that people have questioned the strategic alliance because it is, it is so, uh, beneficial to the, uh, the DP world tour, not just now, but for the, the next number of years. I think at face value, Keith, a lot of people seem to believe that it's not really a partnership of equals. One example that occurs is that, for example, Jay Monaghan has a seat on the board, whereas you don't have a seat on the equivalent board in the PGA Tour. So can you see where people are coming from that actually does it look like the PGA Tour benefits more from this than the DP World Tour? No, no, because we're not, we're not, we're not investing in, in their business. They're investing in ours. So I'm not sure how I would want to be on the board. I, I think what you've got is you've got a lot of people that, that, that are uh, ill-informed and and you know I I I also get amused with the the it's almost like a lazy narrative and and not factually based that that people talk about uh, the DP world not being in a strong position and and I'd love to have that conversation because I I, I don't know where it comes from because I don't think we've ever been in a stronger position and especially in the face of competition especially in the face of inflation. So I, you know, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, that, that, yeah, like I said, I, I, my, my people, my management team, I say, oh guys, you can't worry about that. That's the lazy, lazy narrative. It's not factually based. It's, you know, it's easy for people to be provocative, but it's also ill-informed. Let's talk about Ryder Cup then, because I think that's the other big discussion point for people Obviously, a lot of 
the the mainstays of Ryder Cup successes for Europe over the last thirty years or so are now aligned with the Live Golf League. A simple question: Is that the end of the road for all of those players as far as the Ryder Cup goes? Well, as I, as I've said, and I've been consistent, um, you know, our our players uh, can definitely qualify for the Ryder Cup, and Luke Donald can definitely pick them if he if he chooses. So that is, and and Luke has six six selections, and they can qualify. I think it's going to be tougher for them to qualify based on the fact that they are are committed to playing so many events on another tour. So they're going to miss some of our events, and then depending upon what the sanctions are, it's going to make them tougher for them to qualify. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if, if they if they show form and uh, going forward, then then definitely uh, Luke can select them. I, I think at the end of the day, the Ryder Cup, September 29th to October 1st, is going to be an unbelievable spectacle. And, you know, I don't know if you, you heard yesterday at a press conference, Giovanna Melago, who is the president of CONI, the International Olympic Committee, said the only major, major sporting event infrastructure built in Italy since the 1960s. And they're going all out. And they certainly, they certainly are. You know, we've, we've had an 18 month redesign project led by European Golf Design with Tom Fazio II, and that's been completed. You know, it's the match days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are now sold out. Uh, there's limited tickets available for even Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's going to be 45,000 people there based on the size of it. You know, we've added 23 big screens across the venue, which is more than there was in Paris, because it's going to be almost 5,000 on the first tee. Uh, I think Italy will be absolutely stunning, and it'll reach more than 620 million households and be broadcast in more than 200 countries. So uh, I'm excited about uh, the Ryder Cup in Italy, and I'm excited about seeing Marco Simone in a couple of weeks at the Italian Open. It's going to be great. Just to pick up on a, a question you were asked in the, the call last week that you had with some media, that was the final question, ironically. You were asked, how likely in view of this decision is it that any of the appellants will ever captain the Ryder Cup? And you mentioned, we lost three last year in terms of Sergio Garcia, Graham McDowell and Martin Keimer, who can never be Ryder Cup captain and Ryder Cup vice captains based on the regulations because they didn't make their minimum. Just because, again, I've been asked, for clarity, none of those three can ever be Ryder Cup captain, is that correct? That's correct. Yes, okay. yes, because they meant they, in our regulations, uh, and you know, this was this was done well before a competitor entered the marketplace. If you fell out of membership and didn't meet your minimum, then then you couldn't be Ryder Cup captain or vice captain. And again, that was decided by, I think that was decided during the time where. A, a couple of um, live players were were on the tournament committee, uh, so that's so if they fall out of membership, then they can't be vice captain or captain again. Yes, that's correct. That's in our regulations. Understood. It's incredible to think that Sergio Garcia, the the record point scorer in the Ryder Cup as he is just now, will never lead a team. To me, that I don't know. That just seems strange. I guess weird, but ultimately a consequence of his decisions. Yeah, you know what? And Michael, that's the right thing. Everybody keeps saying that, that, you know, and our own members say it all the time to me. Keith, it's their choice. You know, it's their choice. They made this, 
they made this decision. Like I, like I said, it's 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 disappointing that some of them have been so you know uh, you know aggressive and almost hostile. And it was actually nice to see a noticeable difference in the tone from the live players around the Masters. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of them were there, but you know you still have to remember that many of them have equity in in live and the only way that that equity will build is at the the detriment of of the tour that has provided them the pathway to actually get to live in the first place so that's 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 something that's incredibly disheartening when you when you have some of those players saying that I should just be able to play and and that's just not real that's just not realistic Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A few more questions, if I may, because I'm well aware that we're, we're short on time. I, I have to address the world rankings situation. A lot of people seem quite perturbed and confused by by what's going on with world rankings at the moment. Certainly, the the apparent skew downwards of points for certain DP World Tour events. The the criticism, again, not my words, but has been thrown towards me that the DP World Tour as a product, as a place to play, has been devalued by the world rankings. How do you respond to that? Well, as I, as I, as I said, you know, this is, I, I, I don't think we've ever been stronger. This is a narrative that's been pushed by people who serve the benefit from it, in, in my opinion. Sadly, that includes some players whose careers were built on our tour and, as I said, are now incentivized in another tour and have equity in it. So, um, you know, I, I said last year during the, the BMW at Wentworth, when you look at the playing opportunities, numbers of tournaments, numbers of countries where we play, number of broadcast partners, the quality of our sponsors, the different nationality of our players, the total number of members, the innovation inside and outside the rope, the inclusivity, the embracing women's game and golfers with a disability. I, I find it, I find it, 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 it challenging. Um, the OW jar was something that, that mathematically made the most sense. Um, and, and I, I definitely, uh, uh, voted for it because mathematically it, it made the most sense and was the most accurate. And as a board member, that's what my role was. And that, that's what the governance is. At the same time, we are looking to, to modify it. The technical committee at a member, at a meeting at Augusta. So they're continuing to, uh, to, to look at it, um, but no, I, I I think that um, as I said, I, I I believe that that you know the that whole concept uh, that the the DP World Tour is is struggling. I I I struggle with that. Now we're suddenly a weaker tour. It's it's an argument which simply doesn't stack up. You know the. You know, and I, I, I talk about the, the 10 cards as two. You know, since I've got here in 2015, uh, you know, from my very first conversation with some of the top players, they talked about, you know, the PGA Tour and what transpired after, I think the decision was made in 2017, but in 2019, when the players moved to March, Masters in April, the PGA Championship in May, U.S. Open in June, and the Open Championship in July, you know, it made it even more important for the proper preparation for the players to 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 get over to America, where where the climate was was the same, and and leading into into um, 
the players, the Masters, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, similar grass, similar greens, similar bunkers. Um, that was that was a benefit. We've now formalized that pathway, and and it's uh, it's it's phenomenal. And I can't see how I and and maybe it is it is me, but I you know I can't see us when we you when you look at it that being that being a bad thing. You can only see it as being being something that we formalized a pathway that was always there. Mm-hmm. You know, like how many times did Rory? How many times did Rory play last year? Right? You know, you ask my question, Michael. Like, like I'd like to get your feedback. I'd like to get your thoughts. Maybe on another call. <laughs> I'm not oh, sure. No, but, I'm not sure the listeners of the podcast are so interested in what I have to no, say no, as well as what you have to say, Keith. Well, no, but I think they do. I think they do. I think you're wrong there. I think they want to hear what you have to say because. You know, you write a, a blog, you do a podcast, you're a journalist, you're from Scotland, you understand in Scotland, you know, there's 5 million people there and 550 golf courses. And in Florida, there's 22 million, 1250 courses. So, so, you know, and, and, I, and I've listened to you, Michael, and so what's your thought? Where do you think we are? Truthfully, where do I think you are? As I say, I'm conscious that we don't have a huge amount of time here, Keith. So hopefully you will. Well, no, you can have you can. It's your podcast. <laughs> you can have as much time as you want. Well, it's interesting. I had a couple of really good conversations with people at Augusta National last week, and what I've noticed now, now that you guys are able to speak, because it felt to me for a long time like the there were shackles there, necessary shackles, whilst the arbitration was ongoing, but it seems that. A lot of people are a bit more relaxed now and able to talk about things they weren't able to before, which I think is where the misinformation or the the narrative that you speak of comes from. When people aren't in a position to say the strategic alliance is X, Y, Z, we are in this position, we are actually very strong and because, you know, blah, blah, blah. That, I think, is what lends itself to the narrative of if they're not telling us, then the human nature is that there's a suspicion that there's something to hide, Right. But certainly from the conversations I've had last week and speaking to you just now, hearing what you have to say, it's not for me to say that you're not in a strong position. If you say you're in a really strong position, then I, I completely believe you. I guess one of the I questions... I guess the question would be, what is the definition of a strong position? You tell me. Well, you tell me. I asked you the question first. <laughs> strong is that you are able to either coexist or fend off an existential threat such as love. Okay, but what 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 exact what does that what is what is that what does that mean to our membership? What does that mean? It means more playing opportunities, uh, more money, frankly, more prize money, uh, better world ranking points, and at bottom line, it means that they have somewhere to play, that they have a strong DP World Tour with a full schedule that is able to sustain the membership that it's got. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So then let's, let's have, let's have the check mark then definitely for, for flying opportunities. Let's have the check mark for sustainability and, and guaranteed persons and, and prize funds and growth. I would, I would add a strong collection of sponsors and stakeholders, which we do have. So then your world ranking points. Let me ask you the question. What is the purpose of the world ranking points then? What's the purpose of the OWGR? Well, at present, it's to identify who the best golfers in the world are and to decide what major championship fields look like in a broad sense. Uh, very, so that's, that's, that's the key. So what, what, what the OWGR, the purpose of the OWGR, as you really look at it right now, is quickly becoming 
how you get into the majors. Mm -hmm. So the importance of the OWGR going forward is going to be determined by the majors. There is the argument that the OWGR just gets replaced with major fields comprised of the top 50 from there, the top 30 from there. I've heard that yeah. come up a few times. That was discussed quite so a lot, actually, at Augusta National. Yeah. Is that something viable, do you so, think? Well, I, I think, that, I think that's, that's probably where it, where it could, mm-hmm. could very well be headed. But as per your mm-hmm. definition, then, as you said, in terms of the definition of success, right, we'll go through the, 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 the checklist, and we're in a very strong position. And so as, as I, you know, and some people say, yeah, but, but is, is, you know, you, you got top players. Are they going to play? Well, Rory played in 2022. He played Abu Dhabi. He played Dubai. He played the Italian. He played the Dunhill. He played the DP World Tour Championship. Yet he didn't play Genesis and he didn't play, play the Genesis Scottish Open or the Eurasian Irish Open, mm-hmm. of which this year he's obviously playing in the Eurasian Irish Open. So, you know, what, what I'm saying is, those players are still going to play. We're now working with the PGA Tour. They've changed their schedule. I think it provides us an opportunity. I guess we're going to have to wait and see what that what that opportunity is, how we reveal that in, in July. Mm-hmm. But I think a generalization, and I, and I feel strongly about this, is it's a lazy narrative with no factual basis that 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 we that we're in. In a, in a in a lesser position than we were in 2018 or 2019, Understood. and generalization, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's what I believe in, and and perhaps it's because you may be right. We haven't been able to speak, and maybe it's it's because um, people are ill informed, or maybe it's the fact that that people just want to be incredibly provocative on on uh, on a social media channel. I think all of that is potentially correct. So a couple of quick ones to, to finish up. This is maybe quite a big question, but can you see any future, Keith, in which the three main tours, if you will, PGA Tour, DP World Tour and Live, can find a way to coexist peacefully? Or is that too much to ask, given everything that has gone on over the last 12 months? Uh, well, so I would say, I would say, Michael, I, I would say, Michael, and I, I appreciate you not bringing in, uh, you know, a lot of talk about uh, the Asian war, um, and and they've been they've been they've been pretty aggressive. Uh, but I think it's preposterous to even compare us to the Asian tour at this particular time with the events that we have. Like I said, even the ones I just mentioned, the Dunhill, mm-hmm. you know, the BMW PGA Championship, the DP World. Tour championship, so forth. You know, if you're if you're if you're an Asian player and have a great role model right now in Tom, rising player in Asian with aspirations of being the next Tom Kim, I'd seriously be exploring the pathways that that we have to offer, direct pathways to the very top professional of golf. So I, I appreciate you not mentioning uh, the Asian tour, and and I will accept that admission that they are significantly. Uh, less than, than our importance in the, in the professional game. In terms of your question, I, I've said we're always willing to have a conversation that truly benefits the full range of membership. You know, I think it would be, I think it would be difficult to do that through with legal proceedings going on. Now ours has, has changed 
Um, but it was going to be very difficult with, with, you know, 13 of our claimants having a claim against us. And, and a lot of our time and resources spent doing that. I think it'll be, um, but like I said, I think it'll be difficult with the legal proceedings going on in the U.S. And certain, certainly we wouldn't, um, you know, we would, we would be aligned with the PGA Tour, just that they're aligned with the, the PGA Tour. Um, so, uh, um, I, I, I think, I, I think I would never say, I would never say never, um, but, and, and, and I, and I did say to you earlier that I was pleased with the, the, the way that the, the I, I think I said it was, a noticeable difference in tone from the live players around the masters. Now, not all of them were, were there. Uh, but you know, I, I can tell you, I have, I have never deliberately and I've uh, deliberately avoided being drawn into a public tit for tat. And I'm not going to do that, e- that either. Um, but we're always willing that if it truly benefits the full range of our membership, uh, but Hopefully, our legal case last last week uh, was the was the end of our legal proceedings, so we could move on. And hopefully, the PGA Tour and Live can settle their disagreements as well. And maybe at that particular time, after legal proceedings, maybe there will be an opportunity down the road. Who knows? And then we can all get back to talking about golf, golfers, and golf shots. Wouldn't that be a thing? Final uh, final question, Keith. I'm just curious how this has been, this whole process has been for you on a personal level. You know, let's take aside the, the chief executive role. You've been front and centre of the proceedings over the last few months. Yeah. Give me a sense. How, how much of a toll has it taken? Have you even considered your position, for example? Um, you mean consider my position, meaning Continuing, staying? Yeah, staying, staying on. Oh, well, well, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave unless the players, uh, wanted me to leave at this particular time because we still have so much to, to do. And mm-hmm. it is, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave in the midst of a, of a, of a challenging time and in the midst of new competition that we're, that we're facing. Um, I, I think COVID was really, really difficult. This is a different challenge and the COVID challenge was one I thought that I would never experience again. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a different challenge, but it's equally as draining. And and to your point, yeah, I'd love to get back to talk about you know how how uh, you know how we can make our tournaments better and what we're doing with our with our tournaments. And it's been it's been it has been challenging sometimes. I think the biggest challenge I've I've had. Is, is not being able to speak publicly mm-hmm. because of, uh, because of a couple of things. One is, is because everything with, with the, uh, the live players being members, any communication that I have with the players immediately goes to them, which then immediately goes to the media. Uh, so that's, that's, that's been challenging. Uh, and as a result, not being able to come out and saying, Hey, well, listen, we've, uh, we're in, we're in 
we're in really good shape. Here's why we're in really good shape. Not really concerned about the future and the sustainability of our tour. Um, you know, that's, and, and, you know, that's been challenging, but I can tell you that the way that I, that I live my life, whether it be COVID or whether it be, um, the challenge of a new competitor, I always look at it as an opportunity. That's the way I'm looking at it now, looking at it saying, okay, what is our opportunity to grow the game for our members, for our partners, to grow the game in Europe? And, and, and that's our, that's our focus. And hopefully what we announce in, in the next three or four months, we'll do just that. Fantastic. Keith, it's always a pleasure to, to speak to you and to get your thoughts. On behalf of all our listeners, I want to thank you for your candor, for coming on the call. I appreciate it. it's been a very difficult couple of months where you've had to sit in your hands and, and listen as, as things have been said. But now it's great that now you have the opportunity. It's great that you've been able to, to come and speak to us. So thank you very much indeed for that sincerely. And I'm looking forward to the week of the Genesis Scottish Open to, to see what you have up your sleeve. It'll be, it'll be great. The summer is going to be fantastic with the, the schedule that we have. And then, of course, culminating with, uh, with the Ryder Cup in, uh, in September. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm now buzzing with anticipation about what's ahead of us. As you should be. Keith Pelly, for now, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Michael. Cheers now. So there we have it. Really interesting stuff there. Thank you very much indeed to Keith for his time. Going to have a bit of reaction to that coming right up right after this. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new paradigm in performance from Callaway. Welcome back. Part two of this week's Bunker podcast in association with Callaway. Michael and Bryce here. You just heard from Keith Pelly, the chief executive of the DP World Tour, just before the break there. Very interesting stuff. As I say, much appreciated to, to Keith for his time. I know he's a very busy man. Bryce, a lot of interesting stuff came out of that there for me. I think number one, Keith's candor. He has always been a very candid, honest guy and you could sense his frustration, I think, at having been able, been unable to say anything and just sort of sit back and absorb it as people like us, frankly, have been saying, we think this, we think that. I mean, that is our job. But in the absence of him being able to say anything, of course, speculation is going to be rife. Of course, the rumour mill will turn. But interesting to hear him shoot down, I guess, the lazy narrative, as he put it, that the DP World Tour is not in a healthy position, according to Keith. Never been better. How do you view that? Well, first of all, the guy's got a seriously hard job. Let, let's not let's not be about the bush. That's a hard job. He's also quite a different boss for what we would know as the European Tour. The ones we grew up with, you know, Ken Schofield and George O'Grady were quite Quiet, I suppose, guys. I know behind the scenes, Ken Schofield was, uh, well, moving on, moving on. <laughs> but they got the they job were, done. Yeah, they were quite. They were sort of old. I wouldn't say old school bosses, but but Keith Pelly is more 
outspoken. I think the very first time we saw him at the Ryder Cup when he put his hands out and addressed <laughs> the crowd, we knew this guy's a bit different. In caps lock, I think yeah, he spoke to him. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like that. He need to be different, but he's come in at a really big period of change and then he's he's had to face this monumental issue with Liv. And the one thing Liv have over him is power of uh, personality players and a lot of money. How's he going to deal with that? I don't necessarily agree with how they've dealt with it. And the problem with, with Keith Pelley, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You can look back and say, we should have done this, we should have done that. And I get all that. And it's easy for us to sit and do that. And let's be honest, we have done that. But he's paid a big salary to do a very big job and it's very difficult to do. But for him to come out and say that we've never been in a better place, I don't, I, I can't agree with that. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're one of the people that on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning sit down and stick on Sky Sports and watch European Tour Golf, you have to be honest. Seven to eight times out of ten, it's not a great watch. They don't have world-class players. They're not playing the world's best venues. There are no crowds. There's not really any buzz to the tour. You go back 20 years when you were watching Els, Goosen, Montgomery, Langer, these big stars, VJ, Darren Clark, they, they, they dominated our tour and they were there most weeks. And the end of season's events were exciting. The Volvo Masters, apart from the, the one we just decided to call it half <laughs> and it was a bit dark. But they were great events. I, I, I don't think the tour is like that. The tour is different. It's best part of the tour now is the beginning of the season and maybe the end. But even the end of the season, the race to Dubai is not what it, what it should be. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe he's correct in saying that, it, that it's never been better. They might have more money, but it doesn't mean they've got a better product. And that's quite worrying. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, <laughs> it was interesting that he was very adamant that he gets my view on what success looks like. I'll reiterate, I don't really think anybody, he, he disagrees, but I don't think anybody listening to this podcast is as interested in what I think a successful tour looks like compared to his. But I, I, you are an observer. You you do watch it. Your, your opinion, that's why people listen to podcasts. They want opinions and what people say. And, and, and I actually respect him for saying you what. Tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. I, I quite like oh, it. Oh, absolutely. But, but people want to hear what the boss yes. thinks is success. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... It's a strange one. Who, who, if Keith wants to say that the DP World Tour is great and that all things are, are tickety-boot, who are we really to disagree? I mean, he's got access to the books that we don't, but all we can do is go off what we see. And I think you're quite right when you look at some of those events where there are no crowds. When was the last time you saw a PGA Tour event with no crowds? I know. Listen, the, That's the, the, the DP World Tour, the DP World Tour unfortunately knows the product that it's putting out. This is a tour that took the world rankings off its leaderboards so that nobody could instantly see how poor the fields were. Mm-hmm. They re- they removed the world rankings of players from its leaderboards. That's it. Someone at the tour has said, how do we, how do we make this look better? If we've got eyeballs on this, how do we improve the product? Mm-hmm. Well, remove the fact that those players are 1,400th in the world for a start. And that's what they've done. That sounds harsh. And I know that there are players that we know that play in those events. But this is this was the second biggest tour in golf. And at the moment, it's clinging to that. Whether it's third, I don't know. And it's 
you know, we can come to that at the end of the season when they're doing race to Dubai and they're playing for a lot of money and there will no doubt be some big star names and I get it. And there'll be some events in the summertime which really reflect so strongly mm-hmm. on DP World and you have to give them that. But they've made decisions that sh- make you realise they know this tour is not what it was. They would never have done that years ago and they have done it now. They've taken that world ranking stuff off the leaderboards because they know it's not what it once was. Yeah. Someone would say perhaps changes the price of survival. I get all that, but... It's going to be interesting to see what they announce at the Genesis Scottish Open in July when it comes to their schedule for next year. Um, Led to believe there are some pretty significant things in there, but they'll have to. Let's let's just wait and see what July brings, shall yeah. we? There'll have to be significant things. They have to. They have to evolve. Mm-hmm. There is a genuine threat with Live, and whether that threat should be viewed from a hostile perspective is up to Keith Pelly and his and his team. But they're going to have to change. In order to move forward, you have to change. If you don't, you will sit still and stagnate. And that's when the troubles really start. Let's move on, shall we? Let's look at Rory McIlroy. Oh, Michael. Sorry. Coming off the back of a very, very poor Masters performance. No getting away from that. He then pulled out of the RBC Heritage, which we touched on briefly in the previous episode. A lot has since happened. It looks like he's going to be getting a very hefty fine, potentially multi-million dollars in PIP money, if I've read it correctly, for missing the event because it's the second designated event of the season that he has missed. I gather you're only really allowed to miss one before things start happening. Rody's now missed two. No idea at this point why he missed last week. There may be very, very good reasons for it, extenuating circumstances, whatever, but he's not said anything yet. We may find out at the Wales Fargo Championship in a couple of weeks why he didn't play. However, not a great look for Rory, who has been front and centre of why the PGA Tour is better than live. He's been front and centre of the changes that benefit players like him in the top half of the PGA Tour. Again, acknowledging that there may be good reasons for not being there. We don't know. (laughs) Feels like a bit of a bit of a blunder by Rory to sit last week out. Yeah, you said he was front and centre of the changes. He absolutely was. He was in the room when they were making those changes. He is hugely influential influential in the outcome of all changes at PGA Tour policy now. So to then skip it, I think, is a really poor show. And I think we got an idea of just how poor that was from his uh, some of his peers. You know, didn't seem didn't seem to appreciate his decision that event actually it missed Rory McIlroy and that, that's the problem with these events that there, there was they don't have enough this, we said this a few weeks ago they don't have enough star names in in the pot to withstand one or two missing out or not playing because well the enough. game's now so fractured yeah, yeah. so that, that's a it's a poor a poor one but I wonder whether it, whether he looked at that golf course and thought the way I'm playing right now, I don't like the look of that golf course. I'm going to sit this one out. But I mean, the the fining them of you know they've talked about is it a three million pound mm-hmm. fine or something that doesn't really. I mean, Pip didn't exist a few years ago, so he's not really going to. I mean, Rory McIlroy, let's be honest, he's not going to miss three million pounds. I think it's I would. 
<laughs> I'd missed three quid. Yeah, I'd need to find some sort of repayment plan in order to pay that fine. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, I would be... $17 a month, done. Yeah, I'd be selling stuff outside my house. <laughs> Another guitar? I mean, I just... Well, well, I never said I'd sell that. But oh, right, yeah. I mean, three million pound fines. I mean, that, that's... Dollars. That's dollars. dollars. Yeah. Same thing. That's... It just goes to show how well these guys are. The world that they live in. Yeah. Three million pounds. I wonder... Three million pound fine and yet... Clubs in Europe and football get fined like £24,000 for racist chanting. It kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Well, a little bit. Yeah, good point. Thanks. I think for Rory, as I say, we are completely speculating. There may be other stuff at play here, but the fact that they're fining him would suggest to me that there's not. The tour is making it's making this decision that you know what rules what, are what, rules. What are you expect? What, what do you mean other stuff at play? Like what do you well, mean well, behind the scenes? Things. Yeah. You know, we, we have absolutely no idea why he skipped. the 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 easy conclusion to draw is that he's raging after missing the cut at the Masters. Thinks raging. his game's all over the shop and just wants the week off, tired, whatever, and just nah, I've, I've, I'm not playing that event. That is the easy conclusion to jump to, but we don't know what's going on. He, he could be dealing with an injury. He could be dealing with anything, anything at all. But people are quick to jump to conclusions that, oh, well, he's just, he's a bit pissed off. Most likely that's the correct one. You say most likely, based on? Well, did he look injured? Did he mention injury? He didn't say a thing, so he didn't speak to anybody afterwards. So again, conclusions that we're jumping to, there, there may be... Any but he, number of but you could say that for any player. You know. Of course you could. He didn't pull out, remember? But that's my point. He wouldn't cut. get the same benefit of the doubt that other players get. Yeah, I think, you're, I think the fanboy's coming out there. No, I disagree. But you're right when you say that he seems to have upset some of his fellow players. Xander Schofele said that, you know, rules are rules. Joel Damon looking for transparency from the tour. For the first time, really, we're now seeing players on the PGA Tour asking the tour itself to be open, transparent, and to share details of fines, which, which, which it hates doing. They don't like doing that. Are you surprised by that, the, the, the reaction from his fellow players? Yeah, I'm sure Rory's sort of pissed off a few people. And remember, this, this sounds awful, but Rory's not American. You know, you, Rory is an outsider that's come in and dominated and become one of their big stars. I just, I know you're going to get on to it in a minute, but I think Rory... Rory needs to take a chill out and, and get back to doing what you should be doing, and that's concentrating on winning golf tournaments. Politics and stuff, and take a leaf out of Scheffler's book. I mean, look what Ram did last week. Look what Ram's done in the last two weeks. That's incredible. You know, start your Masters with a with a four-putt, win the Masters, and then have a pretty poor first round, get some, throwing some dodgy breaks on the Thursday, and then they end up, you know, where he was last night is unbelievable. Just sitting there co-commentating as well. Unbelievable. He's very good at it. Ah, unbelievable. But notice he wasn't commentating during the round. <laughs> yes. But yes, that, okay. that, that's impressive. You know, Rory, Rory to me just needs to get his head sorted and get playing some golf. And to me, he should have done that. He should have just get back on the horse and go and play. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like there's a lot of pressure on Rory now because of the position he's put himself in as a spokesperson for fighting for the rights of the, you know, the strong PGA Tour golfer. And that's a lot of pressure. You can be two different things. You can be a figurehead and or a spokesperson. 
Tiger Woods has been the figurehead of the PGA. Never been a spokesperson. Yeah, never said a word. Never got involved in anything. Yeah. But people always viewed the PGA Tour and Tiger as... Together, yeah. yeah. I think Rory has maybe made a mistake there. One guy who certainly thinks that is his former agent, Chubby Chandler. First, thing, first things first, I've not heard from Chubby Chandler <laughs> in a very long time. <laughs> I did think, wait a minute. Who got that interview? So it was Kevin Garside. Was he on a beach? I knew. <laughs> uh, yeah, potentially. So, Chubby, couple of quick disclaimers, or rather one. He was Rory's agent. Was. Was. Yes, when very Rory careful with pro, the was. Yes. When Rory turned professional, and then they parted ways a very long time ago. Rory, of course, then went to Horizon Sports, parted ways with Five them, ways and with now them, does yeah, his own thing. That was awkward. It was very awkward. But Chubby said in that interview, uh, by the way, when I say Chubby, I'm, I'm not being disparaging, just in case anyone's listening for the first time. That's what he goes by. Okay, done. So, yeah, Chubby was saying at the weekend that he thinks Rory is opening his mouth far too often, thinks he needs to step back, as you said, from all of the politics, all the drama, and just concentrate on golf again. He also said that you would bet against Rory ever winning the Masters because he thinks it's just too much in his head, the prospect of completing the career Grand Slam. Bryce, what, what did you make of what Chubby had to say? I, I'll be honest, a little bit disappointing. You know, Chubby grew up with Rory, helped Rory on the stage. There's obviously a bit of a falling out there because it seems a bit, a bit strange when Rory's down to his former manager to come in and kick him in the stomach. I, I, I don't really like to see that. I, I don't think that says much about anyone's personality because they, there's a, we're different, we're allowed to do that, but they are, they've got a relationship or had a relationship and I just think that's a little bit unfair on Rory, ironically. It's easy to kick him when he's Yeah, down. you know, why not? It doesn't say anything when he does something well and as soon as he does something wrong, everyone's like, let's go and... But I get it, look, he was asked a question mm -hmm. and he's probably not been asked the question when Rory's done something well, so that's just the way the media works and we're all guilty of it. But let's be honest, pretty much everything he said was correct. <laughs> I do, I genuinely do think some of the things he said were right. But apart from the Masters thing, Rory, Rory has everything in his locker to win that jacket. Everything in his locker. What's getting in the way now is there's just too much going on. And I do think that. But he's not going to have that going on for the next 10 years. And Rory has another 10, 15 attempts mm -hmm. at winning that jacket. So I, I don't believe it's it's never going to happen because he's got too much going on in his head. He just needs to straighten himself out. When Rory is, we all know this, we're, we're all guilty of getting into situations where something's going bad for somebody and you just talk about how bad it is and all the time. Rory will come good. He's far too good a player. It's just two months since we're talking about yeah. him winning Aye, the Masters. Absolutely. So. He's far too good a player. Once he gets clean, gets his head sorted and uh, puts a bit better, Rory will be back. He's he's an immensely talented player. What he doesn't need is former managers kicking him when he's down. That's our job. <laughs> <laughs> right, slow play. We didn't touch on this. Oh, come last on, week. this is like what? I know, I know. Can I, know. I talk about parties or something? Or, you know, something a bit more interesting. What was the last party you went to? I haven't been to a party. There for you a go. Long That's time. why we're not to talking about parties. Anymore. Correct. Slow play. We didn't discuss this on the previous episode. Because frankly, there, time. Were, there were better things. <laughs> we didn't have time. <laughs> I know, I should have been put on the clock for yeah. that. But Brilliant. yes, Patrick Cantley, dreadfully slow at the Masters, and he was at it again. 
at the RBC Heritage. Billy Foster's face, I think, spoke for everybody watching. Yeah. It was superb. It was superb from Billy, dreadful from Cantley. The funny thing is, I'm starting to see people being a bit sympathetic towards him, saying there's just too much abuse coming his way for this and he's not the only guilty party. I don't believe anybody ever said he was the only guilty party. He just happens to be the one a at the moment. serial offender. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new. And he's done it now in back-to-back high-profile tournaments that could have had an impact on the outcome of those tournaments. What do you think of Cantley's pace, first of all, Bryce? What he needs to do is play in the Shot Clock Masters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what it, was that what it was called? Shot Clock Masters. Shot yeah. Clock Masters. Uh, no, it's funny, there was a, a video from, was it the PGA, about four or five years ago? Yes. Of him addressing the ball on the tee. And we, I got Dex, our videographer, to have a look at that. Because I, I thought that's got to be on a loop. Mm-hmm. Then I thought somebody's cut that out and placed him on a tee really professionally mm-hmm. and put the background there. But we looked at it and everything. And that's it's a real legit. video. That's yeah. a legit video. We could not find any fault in that. There was only a couple of times where his movement, where his right toe was absolutely identical to the movement that happens like three seconds later. Mm-hmm. But that's because... He's just doing the same thing. So it wasn't a fake video. No. And if you trace the original source of that video, it's from a YouTube account who's got another video of Cantley on the tee. Is that right? With an iron doing almost the same thing. So he is, he is monstrously slow. And what happened at the Masters was that they stopped showing his pre-shot routine. They just showed him when he was hitting his shot. So they knew how slow he was. Mm. So you actually didn't really see how... Well, so they stripped out the context Stripped out the context That's of it. So, so you couldn't see... Well, it, 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 it's not poor from a TV perspective because nobody wants to sit and watch somebody take a minute and a half to hit a shot. But that all... But, what, but it, it masks it the problem. This, correct. It creates this thing where people are watching golf thinking, why is it uh-huh. taking so long? And that's the thing. When, Just point the finger to blame at the guy responsible. Yeah, so when you go to a tournament, you can actually watch people do their, their, their warm-up and so on. Now, Mickelson's guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Mickelson does not get ready for his shot when he addresses his ball, when he goes to his ball, when he's walked off the tee. But people were, at the weekend were noticing that Fitzpatrick starts his pre-shot routine before his playing competitors have hit, his playing partners have hit. Which is absolutely the right way to do it. Absolutely. But then, there's funny things like, slow play is a... We're, we're scared to talk about it because it looks like you're abusing somebody. And, and it happened at the Masters with Sam Bennett. That boy's slow. Very slow. I get the whole story. I get the background. I get the amateur status and everything. And he's, and he's learning. But that boy is slow. He takes far too long. He has something like 11 looks mm-hmm. at the hole in one shot. That is just not right. But how do you stop it? How do you stop this situation? Because... Play, slow as as two players have repeatedly said on Twitter, slow golfers when they get warned speed up. Mm-hmm. They can abuse the system. Of course quite they can. Is that, that there's got to be a way around this? But we've now been talking about slow play in the modern game for a good five, six, seven, eight mm-hmm. years. That it's getting worse and worse. Martin Slumbers wanted to solve this problem in like 2016. I get my dates wrong, but he made an he made remarks saying we need to we need to solve this issue. They've done the one guy to get done for slow play in a major is still that fourteen year old, year old yep, at the Masters. You know, Chan Lung Guan. Yeah, it's not it's not been solved. 
the tours don't really know how to solve the problem and it's just left up to the public and us to ridicule it when it happens. And we'll continue to do that until they do something. And I don't suspect they will do something. Feels like it's up to the players themselves to start speaking up because you can tell, for example, at the Masters, Victor Hovland wasn't best pleased. Fuming. And it takes a lot, I think, to get under his skin. Mm-hmm. You know, quite a relaxed, easy, happy-go-lucky kind of player. That's not just his demeanour, by the way. I'm, I'm saying that from a position of knowledge. He yeah. is that kind of guy. So it takes a lot to rile him. And there he is on the side of the green on 13, playing his, I presume, his third shot, whilst Cantley is about 100 yards away, sauntering up the fairway. Now, that, that, that's now there deemed as disrespectful. And yet it shouldn't be. You know, that's the thing, the... The issue then becomes the player dealing with the problem because the officials can't or won't. And that player then gets pilloried because he's mm. breaching etiquette. Mm. Never mind etiquette. There's nothing in the rule book about etiquette. What about fixing the guy who's blatantly breaking the rules? Mm. Cantley was taking too long. No question about that. He also moves slowly. He's um, got this slow doddle he's to in, everything he does. It's infuriating. <laughs> no, it looks like the guy is being forced to play yeah. golf. He, he just doesn't have an air of, I'm having a great time here. Yeah. He looks miserable. When he plays golf, the guy looks miserable. And then he you must get the people have... that come out and they say, oh, but he's such a nice guy. Nobody's saying he's no, not. No one's saying he's a prick. <laughs> you know, look, I've seen his Instagram. He goes on wine trips to Sonoma <laughs> with the Shoflays. Like, I've seen he's that guy's doing well. Yeah. Cantley is not struggling here. He must have about 50, 60 million in the bank. He's the fourth best golfer in the world. Yeah. So let me cheer just up a, a wee bit. Yeah, cheer up. But cheer also up. just play a bit faster. Just be a wee bit more on it's, your toes. It's about routine. No one is born a slow golfer. When someone starts playing golf, they're not taking forever. I remember what I was like. I got a club and I swung it and I tried to hit it. You I know, don't know, there was, my brother-in-law's slow. There was, but was he, he, my point is, he wasn't born that way. Playing slow is a learned habit. And I think a lot of these guys are learning it at college. And there's the opportunity. Fix it there. But they're encouraged to, you know, develop your pre-shot routine and make sure that you have something that's repeatable. Thing is, the thing is that that, I'm all right. I'm all right with pre-shot routines. Listen, we we work for a golf magazine. Do you know how many times we've told people to get pre-shot routines because it's important but we don't tell people get a slow pre-shot routine. Exactly. Just go through it. The problem with the slow play is everything else. It's actually not necessarily the pre-shot routine that's the issue. It's everything leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's it's hard to watch. If yeah. I was at a tournament, I just I'd, I think I'd struggle to go and watch Patrick Cantley play golf. 100%. Because he's not what I want to go and watch. I feel like with Cantley in particular, I know it sounds like we're bashing him, but as I've said, he is responsible now two weeks in a row for... horrifically slow play so tough take it on the chin but he doesn't seem to want to accept any accountability for it last week when he was challenged he blamed the greens at Augusta he blamed the weather he blamed the groups in front what didn't he blame? himself himself and he blamed he said they were held up in the second and third and then they were held up in the was it the 15th and 16th I thought wait a minute there's a good spread of 12 holes there that you haven't accounted for. Exactly. Yeah, We're not stupid. It's If he'd just said, you know what, I've looked at it, yes, there were other the things Things going I on, could do to improve. But I can everyone, improve. Yeah, everyone would do that, but players don't want to do that. You know, I'm sure Rory would do that. I'm sure Rory would admit if he'd made a mistake mm-hmm. or something like that, because he's that honest. But, 
The trouble is, as you said, Cantley is such a good golfer. He's the sort of guy you should want to go and watch. But you, as an example, are put off going to see him because of all the other stuff. Yeah, I'd rather watch Adam Scott. Oh, wouldn't we all? He can take all the time he wants. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's throwing that link. <laughs> Speaking of Australia, no, Live Golf... From one hot potato to another, Live Golf, their Adelaide event, which is sold out and has been for many, many weeks now, they're taking their league down under. The Adelaide event, fourth event of the season, takes place this weekend at the Grange Golf Club, I think it is. And of course, there is already noise. Jed Morgan, one of the Aussies on Live Golf, is part of Ripper GC. Ripper! <laughs> ah, you little ripper! Ripper GC. I think it's Ripper Golf Club. Of course, everything's golf club. Fantastic. Anyway, Jed. Would you know Jed if he walked in the office? No. There you go. He complained in an interview tail end of last week or over the weekend that there are not enough events on the schedule. Thinks that there's just not enough chance to play your way into form. And while some of the older guys in the league might like that, the opportunity to play less but make lots of money, Go and play Asian isn't tour. happy with it. Go and play Asian Tour. Seems like a simple solution, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, there are ways around this. What's interesting for me is this is the first time I can remember a player within Liv, publicly at least, criticising Liv. Is this a sign of things to come, potentially? No, he's a, he's a bit part player at Live Really, isn't he? He's not a huge name, and he'll probably be gone in the next year. Well, you're quite right. His best finish this season is in the 20s. He was second to last in, I think, the second event of the season. Yeah. I do think the, the, it's in their interest to have more events because it, it makes them a, a better prospect. But the one thing the Masters did do for Live is that it, it legitimised Live even more. Mm-hmm. You know, we, all the major broadcasters were talking about live. Every media was talking about live players. And now we have a live event. There are more eyeballs on that tour than ever before. From a from a mainstream perspective, I still think we'll go to live and their numbers won't be great online. I was watching on Friday. I turned on a... I noticed that the Asian Tour event, the International Series event, was on live on YouTube and there were 13 people watching it. 13? 13. Now, that's a tour that's had 100 million pumped into it. $100 million. And it's aligned with Live. It's got Live players involved every now and then. 13 people tuned in to watch that. So this is not an easy, it's not an easy get for Live. But the Masters did give them legitimacy on a grand global scale. So when thing when guys like that come out and say negative things, they have to address that. And they probably will behind the scenes. You probably find out that he'll never say another word again. Quite possibly. One man who can't help himself from speaking, Patrick Reed, an interview in The Times emerged over the weekend. Patrick saying that he may well challenge the arbitration result a couple of weeks ago. Not happy with it. Neither are his fellow appellants. Strikes me as weird because the DP World Tour, as we've just heard from Keith Pelly again, they haven't said that they're going to ban live players. Quite the opposite. You know, nothing is on the table, nothing's off the table. They just haven't made their minds up yet. But the mood music would appear to be that no one's getting 
banned. So Patrick can continue quite possibly to play on the DP World Tour. He may just have to face some sanctions in the weeks that he doesn't get a release. Now, there are 14 events of the live season, so there are only 14 weeks when he would need a conflicting release clause, would he not? Unless I'm getting it completely wrong, and if there, even if there's not a conflicting event that week, he still needs to get released. That would be my understanding of it. If there's an event that lives taking place against the DP World Tour event, that's when you need your release clauses. Maybe somebody can clear that up for me. But either way, nothing to suggest so far that Patrick cannot play DP World Tour events or won't be able to going forward. So why not just accept the arbitration result Pay the hundred thousand fine or whatever it was because he doesn't want to pay. Doesn't want to pay his hundred thousand fine. It's buttons to him. I know absolute buttons. But that's it. He doesn't want to. How pay much it. is he paying in legal costs to Larry Claven for Christ's sake? I know, but I think it's. Uh, I think he'll just keep fighting until he gets what gets exactly what he wants because I think that's what they're being told. But it's just become. I, I'm now. Ti- I'm tired of the legal Big ramifications time. and stuff. This just needs to be sorted. And it looks like Liv is established. I'm still not 100% convinced they're going to get to where they want to get to in the next three years. But where they are now, you cannot deny they've made some sort of serious imprint in the game. And if they're going to keep going through the courts, it just bores tour players and it bores fans. It's not It's not a great look for golf. No, it's not. To me, it's... As far as arbitration goes, players suing each other, nah, and that's just it's tiresome. Crap. Arbitration's done. You lost, move on, because it looks like you're probably not going to be that badly impacted. Maybe channel that energy into the PGA Tour lawsuit where there's potentially more to lose. Then again, Patrick Reed has never listened to me so far, so why is he about to start now? Live Golf Adelaide taking place this weekend, and you can watch that, I believe, on the app. This weekend, that is brutal, Michael. We slight dig there. See that? This weekend. What? Me 54 hole jab there. Well, see, like, what you, see what you did. Ah, that see was you not did. intentional. See what you did there, Michael? Not intentional. Let's move to the podder of merit, shall we? Yes, let's. A couple of housekeeping bits to catch up on. Before I went to Augusta, we did picks for the Valero Texas Open and the Masters which obviously we didn't cover last week. So here we are. The Valero Texas Open. Bryce, you picked Nikolai Hoygaard, who finished in a tie for 28th. I picked Ricky Fowler. I'm still convinced he's going to win this season, by the way. Still convinced. And he finished in a tie for 10th. Fowler is playing some good golf. Yes, you've got to say it. But there's a big difference between playing some good golf and winning. Well, yes. So that made the standings 6-2 to me. The Masters. I picked Scotty Scheffler, defending champion, for a minute or two. That looked like quite a good bet too. Finished again in a tie for 10th. Bryce, credit where it's due, you picked John Ram. I did. Two points. And I do believe I got two points. And because he won, I get to pick him again. Correct. Fantastic. I don't get one ram, I get two. So as it stands in the pod of merit, it is now Bryce four, Michael six. This week then, a few events taking place. We've got the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, that team event on the PGA Tour. I always find that a bit of a tough watch, if I'm being totally honest. 
Matt Fitz, I gather, playing with his brother Alex. So that could be interesting to see. Then we've got the ISBS Handa Championship in Japan, I think, on the DP World Tour. Live Adelaide, obviously. But we're going to go to the LPGA, the first women's major of the season, the Chevron Championship, formerly known as the Kraft Nabisco. Used to take place the week before the Masters. It's now taking place a couple of weeks after. New sponsor in Chevron. And Bryce, it is your honour. Wonderful. Just noticed on the DP World website that the top story is Matt Fitzpatrick winning on the PGA Tour. Well, that's your strategic alliance. There's an alliance staring you in the face. Yes, I'm going to go with uh, Lydia Cole. Then why not? Yeah, I think she is an absolute star. Just got all-round good game. Mental, our career is mental. Yeah. But I'd love to... Loved. We need to get her on the pod. We need to get her in the magazine because she's got an unbelievable story. The amount of things that have happened to her, and she's she's still a bit fourteen. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to pick Lydia Cole for this week, and I've got good vibes. Yeah, I'll be honest. That's who I would have picked as well. So thanks for that. Clearly, I need to come up with Plan B, and Plan B for me is I can't believe I'm about to say this. Todd Cantwell. It's dreadful. Lexi. Well, you're having a laugh. No. No. She's just one of the flakiest golfers on the planet. I know. But when it clicks, by God, it clicks. Oh, yeah, she's she's absolutely phenomenal. But there are elements of her that get, I find I really struggle to, to watch Lexi, especially at the end of tournaments. Quite a twitchy player. Yeah. She can get really slow, too. Yeah. We're speaking about Cantley. She can get really slow. Mental errors seem to creep in. She's a real talent, though. Yeah, and, and that's know, the thing. She'll pick them up eventually. There just hasn't been a huge amount of buzz about Lexi recently, which I think is possibly to her favour. Yeah. Not a huge amount of eyeballs on maybe. her, so she's too good a player to only have won, what is it, one, maybe two majors. So, yeah, I feel like that's got to change. And why not this week? So Lydia versus Lexi in the Podder of Merit. Reminder, it's six four to yours truly. Okay, honesty box then to finish up. Not done one of these for a couple of weeks. Bryce, <laughs> you could be here all day with this. Name one thing about golf that you just don't understand, no matter how many times somebody explains it to you. The world handicap system. <laughs> so... WHS, we were, we, why is it such a we problem? We were told, we were told, let's be honest, we were told that World Handicap System was meant to be this global system mm-hmm. that we would all get access to, largely based off what was what they used in America, supposedly, and you would just have this handicap that was more worldwide, not just to your little tiny wee country in the middle of nowhere this was a world handicap system and everyone could use it and it was great and it's meant to be simplified and universal simplified and universal and i could go to portugal and go into quinta de lago mark a score put it in and i would go to my handicap brilliant i think the world handicap system has not been successful and i think people don't understand how it works the whole background with the systems and the software, that every union uses a different bit of software. I can't go into England and put a score in. It doesn't work like that. I just think that. I, I don't get it. What What was the point of spending all that money on a World Handicap system? Having this whole, the whole toolkit that released, when you looked at it, you thought, 
on the face of it, this is fantastic. How is it any different? I, I don't get it. Now they're talking. The, the, the idea was that they wanted you to play general score. So they could, I thought it was a great thing that you could go out and you could put in. Yeah, so know, every round can every be round, competitive. Which is, which is more reflective of your game. Yeah. Now they're getting away from that because, well, some people are putting in dodgy scores and the handicaps get up and it's not really how they are. Like, oh, which surely on. they should have seen coming. Every, every change they make is based around what happens if somebody cheats the system, though. It's like, oh. And I think it's just become a really messy place. And, you know, the, 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 the let's look at England's iGolf, which I think is great. Yep. Scottish golf's open play system, I think is great. If you go on Facebook, Facebook groups and see you like open play, you'll have people at your door hunting you down. With pitchforks with and pitchforks. How dare you see this? They're cheats! And it's just like, mate, it's just it's just an open day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if one guy out of 300 is dodged to score, doesn't mean we change the system to suit him. <laughs> and I think that's what we've become so scared to have this one system. But the point was, what do I, I don't understand it. I'd, it's not a world handicap system. So someone's going to have to sit down and explain to me how it is a world handicap. I don't get it. Yeah. It's not. It is confusing. And you're right, the amount of Facebook posts devoted to WHS complaints, I've not seen anything else like that at the club game. It's just extraordinary. It's, uh-huh. <laughs> people are stopping just short of saying bring back Congo, which had its own problems. Uh-huh. But how do you find the perfect system? And are we naive to try and find it? Just why can't I go down to England and play around the golf and just mark my score, put it in an app, off we go? It's just you're saying you can't do that. No, apparently I can't do that. I have to actually lodge that score with the handicap convener at my club. I think that's that's insane. I shouldn't have a handicap convener. It should just be on a system. Yeah, one single app. Score in there, just course there, there you go. Done. But it's all because it's got to be commercialised, and you know, it's just like, oh, come on. And yet, you tell me I need to get a handicap. You're selling it, Bryce. I know. I've just shafted myself in that sense, haven't I? But Massive you are going. You are going to get a handicap. Oh, this am year. I? Yeah. We are going to play golf, and we're going to put in scores, and you're going to get a handicap, and you will be proud of that thirty-two. <laughs> You know, so this is this is terrible, and I'm hoping it's going to disappear soon. But Augusta has ruined golf for me. Yeah, I know. I did think your next round of golf, mind you, your next round of golf will hopefully be at uh, TPC. So, yeah. Honestly, I just somebody said it to me in a message. They sent me one saying, "You realise you've completed golf." And I know that should. It was meant to be a nice message, positive yeah. message. But me being me, I'm just like, oh, you're possibly right. I cannot think of anywhere I'm desperate to play now. You'll get it back. What if I don't? You will, don't worry. Don't like people worry. people say, Oh, do you know what I play Pebble Beach? I know, but no, I'm pretty sure really. I'm pretty sure a few years ago you did you not have something like you played like Kings, Barnes, Troon and Wentworth in about two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> I'm immensely spoiled. I know, it's ridiculous. Listen, no, I'm I, really I, good I, now. I played Kings Barnes five and a half times in one day. Yeah. You know, there are people who won't play I know. one round of Kings Barnes ever. And as I was saying last week, I've written this list out of all the places I've played. It is just disgusting. I, I should share it, but it's it shows how spoiled I am. I'm I'm so concerned now that no matter what I do, it's like, yeah, I've peaked. 
I know. But no, listen, we'll get you out playing golf this year. We will get you a handicap and then we'll sit and look at it and go, how the hell does this system work? Yes. What do you not understand about golf? <laughs> There's a lot. Listen, this is terrible. See, the Comcast rewards scheme that they've got in the PGA Tour, don't get it. Really do not understand. What's that again? The top 10 in some ranking get Was it, uh, free money. <laughs> and well that is about ex- as much as I know. Is it well explained? How is am that I meant to the explain hole? it? I don't understand it. Is that the whole the risk and reward hole? No, that's something else, I think. That's another thing I don't understand. I genuinely don't understand Pip. Like, I get what they're doing. They're giving players money for being high profile, but meltwater mentions and stuff. What? No, I don't. I, Comcast, what's that? I don't I don't know about that. I thought that was the one linked to like the risk and reward hole. Whatever it is, I don't know. It was it Aon, like, wasn't it? Yeah. The problem is the sponsors of these things change all the time. Yeah. Like, I still call it a nationwide tour. <laughs> it's on about its fourth iteration since then. Yeah. We've had web.com and now we're on Corn Ferry and God knows the Hooters tour will be, well, that is a thing, I suppose. No, the, this is something I probably shouldn't admit, but saw that we're an honest pod. Strokes gained. Every time somebody explains strokes gain to me, I go, all right, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, uh, you, have, you have to read it again and go, yeah. and then like a week later, you go, yeah, I don't get that again. That guy's made a fortune for the PGA Mark too. Brody? Yeah, an absolute fortune. Now, I, I would love it, every, to. It seems to, I, I can only go by the fact that everybody refers to it that, well, it should be easy to understand and also it's, it's valuable info, it's valuable yeah. stats. But I've had a few people explain it to me now and I've gone, right, gotcha. Got it. Don't have a clue. A few days later, like, nah, 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 don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I'd li- like to have been in the room and Mark Brody was explaining that to PGA Tour execs about how it's going to work. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, we got an Excel sheet on that. <laughs> it's just so confusing. I know. I, there's a lot of like statistical stuff I don't get. Like, see, in football now, they're talking about expected goals. What the is this hell the, is expected goals? Is this the X.1 or some of that? Yes, X- XG. XG. But it's a capital G. Expect, so what's an expected goal? <laughs> no idea. I just know that everybody's talking about it. Even my pals in the, the WhatsApp group we've got for fantasy football, which I don't play, they're saying, oh yeah, the expected goals in that Arsenal-West Ham game. I mean, clearly Arsenal should have won. Huh? I'm still stuck on corners, Bryce. <laughs> Someone says, oh, well, they had more corners. Which, by the way, what sort of, what use is that? Oh, they no. had 75 million touches with their left feet. I just, yeah, stuff like that I don't get, but certainly strokes gained. Strokes gained to me is, I think, what the offside rule is to an awful lot of people who don't follow football. So if somebody can explain no, to me it's got in to be 10 more, seconds got what to be strokes more, gained is. It's got to be more complicated than that. Then It's got to be more complicated than the offside rule. You think so? Yeah, it's like BBC football commentators talking about teams in the transition. Oh. <laughs> just uh, stop saying that. I know. This I, isn't I, I think a lot of them are saying it and they have no idea, no what, idea what they're is. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Stop talking about that. The low press and the high press and transition this. Yeah. Certainly. Listen, if you can explain what strokes gained is in 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Slide into our DMs and you know what? I'll bring you on to next week's podcast and we'll give you something. We'll throw a prize your way. If you can explain it and I go, oh, actually, no, I do get it. Not one of those, oh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think I understand. Yeah, if, 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 unless you grasp that within those 10 seconds or immediately after it and you don't have any questions, fine. Yeah.
But if not, they're not getting a prize. Exactly. So if you're that person, slide into my DMs and we'll take it from there. So much stuff about golf that's confusing, though. I can understand why some people are put off by it. It's like, come and play golf. Brilliant. Okay, no problem. A handicap? Sorry, what's that? <laughs> and Right. Okay, and how do I get it? What's a stroke index? There's a lot of stuff to figure out and understand in this game, but strokes gained for me. Just why? Why do we have to deal with it? Remember the good old days when it was just your score. <laughs> Anyhow, Bryce, that is about all we have time for this week. If there's anything about golf that you don't understand, again, get in touch and let us know. And for a laugh, we'll try our best to explain it with our limited knowledge in next week's episode. Thank you very much to Keith Pelly once again for his time. Thank you to Callaway for their continued support. Bryce, thank you to you. You happier back in your other seat now? And this is where I belong. <laughs> Although I did do a smashing job. According to? The numbers. Do you not think that's down to well, that's, the stories I was telling? Again, we don't know that. Oh, so you're just deciding, are you? Yes. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time. Great to see you back, as you put it, where you belong for the extended future. We'll be back again next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.